Thank you, thank you. We must love like Jesus. The book of John is a book of love. To love God, to love one another. Jesus came because God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only son and whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We've been going through the book of John. Today is Bible Monday. You have your Bibles with you? Can I see them? Whether they are in print, whether they are on your device, can I see your Bibles? There we go. And today we're in John chapter 5. And uh, the question I want us to focus on is this one. Do you desire to become whole? Do you desire to become whole? Now, once upon a time, I taught a class called Inductive Bible Study. Where are students who are still here who took Inductive Bible Study with me before my transition? I see some hands. Good, because I have a test for you. <laughs> you thought you got away with it, right? Now, when I teach inductive Bible study and other Bible classes, I will tell students something very specific about questions. I think I saw Buck. There you go. What is it about questions that we need to really pay attention to? Oops. All right, I'll give you a hint. Never ask close-ended questions. Students know that's kind of like a no-no. We do something that's called detailed observation, and in detailed observation, you look at what the text says, and then you ask questions. And if they have those close-ended questions, they're in trouble. Close-ended questions are questions that can be answered by yes or no. And the problem with close-ended questions is that they don't really advance the research. They don't advance the conversation. So imagine uh, you are here, it's the first time on campus. We have some visitors here, right? First time on campus, and um, somebody walks up to you and say, do you play soccer? Yeah, no? And there'll be an awkward silence because it's done, right? Yeah? Instead, if you were to ask, what sports do you play? Then there's a conversation. There's time, you know, soccer, and then you may hear volleyball, and then they may tell you more. I also play racquetball, and okay, there was a time when I also did judo. I said, oh, okay, good. Close-ended questions kind of also, the problem with them is that they, they, they reveal assumptions and presuppositions that the person have about the issue at end, either the conversation or the person. So do you play... You know, do you play soccer? It assumes that, well, that you play sport and that the only one may be soccer. But if you open it up, there's this openness to actually have a conversation. But it's not just that you should not ask close-ended questions. You should also pay attention to the way the question itself is framed. Context matters. So if we ask, if I were to ask you, uh, what's the color of my tennis shoes? And you'll say, brown, right? Now, some of you may just were not paying attention and say brown. Others 
may think he's actually wearing boots. <laughs> Others may think, well, he's not from around here. He's speaking English with an accent. Um, so maybe he doesn't understand the difference between tennis shoes and boots. We'll give him a break and answer anyway. <laughs> you get the point. The way we frame the question sometimes matter. And we need to pay attention to these things. In the story that's in front of us in John 5, several things are going on here that's kind of funky. They're not the right kind of things. John tells us after this, which means, well, we need to pay attention to what came before. He was in Jerusalem, got in trouble, went on his way. He went to Samaria. You heard about that last week. And then he went to Galilee, did some great things there, and decided, okay, it's time to go back to Jerusalem. And there's a feast of the Jews. This one, John doesn't tell us which one, which is interesting. He's telling us there's something else more important I want to talk to you about. Other feasts, he makes sure we know which kind of feast it is because it's connected to what Jesus Christ is about to teach. But he just tells us, oh, he went to Jerusalem. And there, by the sheep gate, there was a pool which had five roof colonnades, and in, there, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been invalid for 38 years. 38 years. Now, in a time when the life expectancy was really short, 38 years is like a death sentence. Walking dead. Put it in perspective, Jesus lived 33. This guy was sick for 38 years. So Jesus came up to him and saw him lying there. And then John tells us that Jesus also knew that he had been lying there for a long time. Now, what we don't know is whether Jesus Christ just knew because he just happens to know, or whether he actually walked up to the gentleman and it's like, hey, talk to me. Who are you? They had a conversation. Or did he ask people around to find out? who this person was, how long he was lying there, and what his predicament was. But this is the place where my inductive Bible study students are going to get vindicated. Would you believe it? Jesus asked him a close-ended question. A yes-no question. Do you desire to become whole? Yes? No. But this is where I get vindicated. The layman doesn't answer the question. He's thinking, are you kidding me? Do I desire to become whole? He doesn't answer the question that Jesus asked. It's not about what I want to do right now. It's about what I can or cannot do. His answer is, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm making my way there, somebody else steps before me. 
Now, depending on what Bible you're using, what translation, there's also a problem with the text itself because some texts actually have that there was an angel who will come and stir the pool, and while the pool is being stirred, the first sick person to get in the pool will be healed. But it's not part of the original one. But here the gentleman is like, I just can't get there. The language that he's, asked, he's using suggests that maybe this is not somebody who's just paralyzed and mobilized, but maybe just he doesn't have enough time to get there. And then somebody is healed, so he makes his way back to his mat, and he just lies down and waits. So Jesus Christ asked the wrong question, it seems. Do you desire to become whole? Do you desire to become healthy? And it's like, ah, actually, I just can't get there. When you read the text, Jesus then moves on and doesn't pay attention to the answer either. That's an issue. His next question, his next statement is, well, take up your mat, walk. So the guy takes up his mat and he walks away. You go from a wrong question to a right result, and if you keep reading the text, wrong timing. He gets healed, he is walking away, but it was the Sabbath. It was the Sabbath. And the Jews in their desire to do the right thing, in their desire to follow God, in their desire to not go again into exile, had taken the laws that God had given in terms of these are the things you should do, these are the things you should not do. They went ahead and added a lot of stipulations. In the Ten Commandments, God said you need to, you must, you need to keep the Sabbath holy. Well, okay, how do we do that? Let's add things to make sure everybody understands. And one of those things were, you should not work. Let's define what work is. So work is, you cannot carry your sleeping, let's call it sleeping bag. You can't carry your sleeping bag from your room into the hall. If you carry it inside your house, you're good. If four of you are carrying it, each holding a part of it, you cross the threshold, you're good. One person does it, trouble. Now remember, John told us that there were five colonnades. So this guy lying by the pool, there was a building. So he picks up his math, mat and he crossed the threshold. He just got himself into trouble. Why are you doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? Great question. Open-ended. Why are you doing this? Well, the, the man who healed me 
told me, take up my mat and walk. So I took up my mat and walk. Why would he listen? Well, any person who can tell me to get up and walk and I realize I am healed, if he can heal me, then I can do whatever else he says. Because, because at that time, sinfulness and sickness were connected in the minds of the Jewish person. If you're sick, it's because you've done something wrong. I'm not going to go any further. Somebody's going to be teaching about John 9. I'll leave him. I won't steal their thunder. Sickness and sinfulness is connected. So if he can be healed to take up his mat and walk, it means that person has just reversed the sinfulness that caused the sickness. And there's only one person who can do that. His name is God. So, I can do whatever he says. Yet the text tells us the man did not know who Jesus was. Who's the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who Jesus was, for Jesus had withdrawn from the crowd. Wrong question. Wrong timing. Wrong response. He's breaking the Sabbath as a result of what Jesus did. But the text then shifts. Not from the question Jesus had asked him, but the result of what happens. Because now the focus is on Jesus' identity. Who is this person who can actually do these things? Not just healing you, but causing you to break the Sabbath as a result. Then something else happens that's very interesting. Jesus found him. So you think for somebody who's been healed, for somebody who now is in trouble as a result, you'll expect that he will be the one looking for Jesus Christ. But Jesus is the one who's still seeking. Jesus found him in the temple, and there's a reason why he is in the temple. Now, if you know the geography of Jerusalem, the pool is very close. It's just like right next to the temple in terms of space. It's inside the city, there's the pool there, and then you've got the temple just in a very short distance. So you may say there's nothing wrong about him going to the temple, but there's something bigger there. Lame people, sick people, were not allowed in the temple. So when I talked earlier about 38 years being a death sentence, for a Jewish person whose identity rests in their relationship with God, for 38 years, this person was not allowed to go into the temple and worship. 
They couldn't do that. But there was also things that needed to be done when you were healed. Go show yourself to the priests. That's why he will go, at, in other times, he will tell them, go, go, to the, go show yourself to the priest. Because you needed to come to the priest, the priest will declare you now clean, and you'll offer a sacrifice. So now that he is healed, he does the first thing that he's never had a chance to do. He is a person again. And Jesus found him in the temple and said, see, you are well. Sin no more so that something worse doesn't happen to you. So what does the man do? He goes back and told the Jews, actually, now I know. Jesus is the one who healed me. Jesus is the one who told me to take my mat and walk. So there's a transformation that happens in him. He went from being in the wrong place, outside of the temple, on a mat, on the Sabbath, to doing the wrong thing, breaking the Sabbath, to now being in the right place, in the temple. There's a transformation that happens in a man who didn't have enough strength in his leg to make it at the perfect time to get healed, who can now go away and talk about what Jesus has done for him. Don't miss the witnessing aspect of what he is doing. He's, just, he's not just tattered telling. He's not just reporting on Jesus Christ. In John, people who actually go and talk about what Jesus has done for them are people who have received him. They're called Nicodemus. They're called a Samaritan woman. Come see a man who's done, told me everything I have done. Jesus has done this for me. Right place, right action. He is telling them. But now Jesus is in trouble because now the Jews are now like, okay, there's something wrong with this. Yeah, he's doing the right things, but he's doing them at the wrong time. Yeah, he is healing, but healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus' response to them, which suggests they might have asked a question, but John doesn't tell us. He answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. What should we make of this statement? In the context of a conversation about the Sabbath, The Sabbath is given because God says, I rested. You too shall rest. But Jesus seems to be saying that God is still working. And I have a theory. Is it possible that though God rested of his creation, 
the time that humanity decided to disobey, God decided, you know what? Back to work. And since that time, he's been working at bringing his people back to him. And Jesus says, my father is working. There's no time for me to rest. Even if it's on the Sabbath, there's this person for 38 years who hasn't been able to worship, who hasn't been able to be in right relationship with God. I need to do something for him today. When we read this passage, there are several things, I think, we can talk about. But allow me to mention a few. One of this, it's clear that Jesus, listen to me very carefully, Jesus sees you. Jesus is seeking you. And he is asking you a pure, simple, close-ended question. A basic yes or no question. So forget about what I have taught. Listen to the question Jesus is asking. Do you desire to become whole? That's the question. Do you desire to become healthy? Don't fall in the trap that the lame person fell in. Jesus was asking him about his desire. Jesus wasn't worried about his ability or capacity because it was never about that. Jesus sought him and was willing and able to do something for him, which he still did in spite of whatever the guy thought. So it's not about what you can do for yourself or what you want to do for yourself. It's about whether or not you desire for him to do for you what he's asking. Yes or no? Do you desire it? But it's also about transformation. Do you desire to become? It's a process. It's a process of becoming. It's a transformative aspect. It's not, it's not about what has happened in the past. It's about whether you're willing to open your heart 
to what he wants to do for you, to what he is able to do for you, that which, that which you cannot do for yourself. And even that which you may be able to do for yourself, but you're better off letting him do it anyway. Do you desire to become healthy, to become whole? It's a way of life. A way of life that is lived in relationship with him and with one another. Teach me to love. Teach me to be like you. Give me your heart. Enseñame a amar. Enseñame a ser como tú. Dame tu corazón. That's what we were singing. We were asking him, and he's saying, Do you really desire this? I can do it for you. I can give you a new heart. I can make you into the kind of person who can live in fulfilled relationship with one another and with God. Jesus will go on when you read the rest of the chapter. He will go on and talk to the Jews and explaining to them, you know, anyone who does what I tell them, they've already passed from life, from death to life. They now have eternal life. Do you want eternal life? Do you want to stop being a walking dead to live fulfilled life that is lived in obedience to God and in perfect relationship with one another? God loves us. He made his love complete in us. So we must love each other. It's time for you to get up and walk. But here's the question. Do you desire to be healthy? Do you desire to become whole? It's not about what you want or what you can do. It's about what he can do for you. Go from this place and answer yes.